0: message, it is October 7th and it's a big day. It's Vice Presidential Debate Day here in America. Uh, we're gonna get to that and, uh, and much more than good today, as you can see, I have a fresh haircut. There's nothing that that sort of sets you right than a fresh haircut, especially in a place like California where it's if when you're getting a haircut that you're doing some sort of criminal act. I'm actually not sure, my girl now comes to my house and uh, we take good care of her. We pay her a little something and we made her dinner and she cut my hair and she cut David's hair. She offered actually to cut the dog's whiskers. We didn't do that, Uh, but I'm feeling good. Uh, There's a lot going on in the world and uh, let's get to it. So, you know, when I started this thing, I always said to you guys, you know, we're gonna do mostly two or three stories, two or three stories a day. We're actually gonna do three stories today, but I am gonna throw in a clip right up front from this lunatic nutbag. Bill de Blasio, who is the mayor of New York City, who has basically ruined New York City. Um, the amount of people leaving New York City is absolutely insane. I have a friend who lives in New York City, who's still in New York City. He's stuck there because he he owns a business, at least for now, that's in New York City. Uh, but he's been telling me that his building, basically, which was always, because it was in a pretty decent area and decent prices for the apartment, it was always jam packed in a waiting list to actually get an apartment in his building, an apartment for rent, um, that his building is at about 60% um, open vacancies right now. Uh, When you add that to the fact that my, my sister, my actual sister, not Jennifer Rubin, my actual sister and her husband and two kids left New York City, I've mentioned to you guys before, I've had family members in New York City since we attracted at one point to the early 1900s, probably around 1908. At times, there were about 60 family members in the different boroughs. There is one person left. Uh, I think a few weeks ago, I said that there were zero people, but there is one distant cousin left in New York City. Um, Crime is way up. You may have seen the video of Rick Moranis getting assaulted on the Upper West Side, I used to live right there. If you didn't see this, so Rick Moranis is the actor from Ghostbusters, remember Rick Moranis? And, uh, and he, you know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Anyway, um, he actually got out of acting for about 20 years, uh, until a few weeks ago, he was in a commercial. um, and I used to see him on the Upper West all the time, and I think he had a son who was very ill, so I, usually if I see people that I, I like what they do, I usually say hi, but I, I sense that the guy really wanted a private life. But I used to see him wandering all around the Upper West and he got just assaulted randomly by some guy, r- literally on one of the streets that I would see him on all the time. So I assume it's pretty close to where he lives. Uh, but violence is up, murder is up, you know, we're seeing the stores be attacked and everything else. So this, this de Blasio guy who wants to defund the police and he's just sort of the worst sort of like progressive, just everything will get worse under my watch, but it's never my fault type of politician. He put out this video on Twitter about masks and, and and well just watch for yourself I'm not making this an anti-mask thing. We've been through this before. When I go into stores, I follow whatever their policies are. I put on the mask. Yada yada yada. My guys, when they work here in my house, we don't wear masks. I have friends over. We don't wear masks. Everyone is allowed to make whatever decisions they want in their own life, at least for now. Uh, but this this like fetishizing of it. This is what New Yorkers do. You know, before you, De Blasio, New Yorkers were known for having a pretty uh, intense independence streak and just watching, ugh, just, ugh. I don't like Bill de Blasio, in case that's not clear. All right, let's get to the the big three stories. So the stories, obviously I'm gonna do some uh, VP debate predictions and preview. We're gonna start with that, so I'll get to that momentarily. Then here in California, Gavin Newsom, who's the, he's the Bill de Blasio of California. uh, He has instituted California health equity metrics equity metrics. And every time you hear the word equity, bells should go off in your head um, because in essence, we're gonna start looking at race uh, when it comes to COVID numbers. And then uh, in essence, okay, we want the races to be equal as to who's getting COVID. So kind of like you might want more people with, more white people with COVID so that it matches the amount of black people with COVID or Asian people with COVID or something. It's like, this has nothing to do with race. But progressives inject race into everything, so why not into COVID? Uh, and then the third story I want to talk about is the NBA ratings drop, which are cataclysmic, absolutely disastrous for the league. And, and just a moment, about two minutes before we started this, I just saw a tweet that uh, from Outkick, that's uh, Clay Travis's site, and they do great Sports coverage, actual sports coverage. You're not gonna believe it. If you like sports, it's not like turning on ESPN where you're watching politics. Uh, They cover sports, weird. And uh, they had a story, they're running a story about how Adam Silver, who is the commissioner of the NBA, is saying that there will be less social justice on the court uh, this season because the ratings, I'll get to more of the numbers when we hit the story, but the NBA Finals ratings are down, if I'm remembering it correctly, I will check in a moment, uh, down 55% from last year. That is unbelievable, and last year was down from the year before. Everyone's trapped at home right now, and there was an interesting exchange, who's a huge NBA fan, you may remember that from when I interviewed him a couple months back, and Mark Cuban, who of course uh, owns the Dallas Mavericks, they had a really interesting exchange about the ratings drop on the Twitter machine, and we're gonna throw up some of the tweets and and we'll discuss what's going on there. All right, so let's talk about the uh, VP debate first. Now, I think the most important thing is to realize, because again, the media, which makes everything absolutely hysterical, is going to try to pretend that if someone wins the debate tonight, whatever wins means, that that really nudges an election one way or another. Now, just back out for a second and think, back to Barack Obama and Joe Biden who was his vice president, think back to Al Gore as the VP for Bill Clinton, think back to Dick Cheney for George W. Bush, think back to Dan Quayle for George H.W. Bush. I mean, just go back as far as you want. And generally speaking, vice presidents don't have a tremendous amount of influence. They don't have a tremendous amount that they're actually doing uh, I mean, look at Mike Pence. He hasn't really done that much. He's done some COVID stuff, but you know, I think partly he's just there to, to steady the ship. I'll get to more of that in just a sec. Um, but generally speaking, very, very, very few people actually make their decision uh, related to the vice president. Now, I actually think that could be a little bit different this year because first off, you just have to look at the age of these two guys. Doesn't matter who you like. Joe Biden is 77 years old. 77 years old and he, and he obviously has some cognitive stuff, right? Like it was a miracle the way he pulled through on the debate. And even in the days since then, uh, he's had a whole bunch of other strange gaffes that you don't see on mainstream media, but you see him on Twitter and, and elsewhere. So he's 77 and, and even if you're a huge Biden supporter, I suspect that you probably, you probably know that, right? So that's, that's one thing. Um, now, Trump is 74 years old. Trump is obviously a bit overweight. Trump also just had COVID. Remember that now? Apparently he's feeling better than he felt in 20 years. And I'm sure they they pumped him full of all the stuff, whatever the stuff is. Um, and they haven't fully released all of that. But the simple fact is he's 74 years old. So you got a 74 year old running against a 77 year old. So in essence, unlike other years past, I think there is a little more reason to, to look at the health to think about the health of these two guys and then go, okay, so then who are the people behind them? In this case, uh, former Indiana governor, Mike Pence, and former attorney general here in California, uh, Kamala Harris. So for Pence, I think it's sort of like this. Pence, basically, all he has to do pretty much is not fall out of his chair and he's he's a pretty stiff guy right like he's pretty controlled composed you're not going to break him he's not going to he's not going to go over the top he's not going to try to get you in a big way all job i think is in essence is for for whatever that slew of people that are like kind of in the trump space but they think oh he's a little erratic you don't know what he's going to do he's a, he's slightly bananas the tweeting the whole thing Trump, um Pence is basically like the he's the guy steadying the ship. He's just the guy that sits back there and you go, "Oh, there's something kind of decent there." You may not like all of his policies, um so be it, but like he's really just there for that. And I think the proof of that is that, you know, he's really made no noise in these couple years, right? There's not any stories about him doing anything crazy or doing anything behind Trump's back or wanting to usurp power or anything like that. Like He's just been there and, and been studying. So his job, I think, is to just have an hour and a half where he doesn't let the thing get completely derailed. And I think he'll probably do that, right? Like, I, I just think there's there's not much excitement there. It is what it is. You got like you could do the job if you needed to do it. Um, for Kamala Harris, it's a little bit different because I think there's a lot of reason to believe that she will have a far, far, far bigger role as a vice president then certainly than Mike Pence does, but then generally vice presidents would have, right? Like there's a lot of reason to think that Biden is not necessarily up to this, that the party installed her. And remember, the thing about the party picking her or Biden picking her or the Clinton machine or the Obama machine picking her, however she got picked by the DNC, it was a, it was a really odd move because Kamala Harris, when when the first debate happened, the first Democratic debate, most people thought she won. A lot of people said she was gonna be the nominee. And then quickly, as people got to know her more and more through a couple of debates and some public stuff, people realized that they didn't really like her. And and when I say people, I'm talking about her own party. And then she was out quick. So remember, Buttigieg and uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie and the rest of them, Andrew Yang even, Tulsi, they all stayed until Super Tuesday. And then they all dropped out on the same day. And there was obviously some shenanigans back, you know, backdoor shenanigans were in effect. They were saying, you're all gonna back out right now and back Biden and that's the way the party's going and and we'll take care of you on the back end, right? Like you'll, you'll get a job or something like that. Kamala didn't even make it that far. She was out already at that point. So that means that the base of the party, right? This has nothing to do with Republicans, conservatives, Anyone else, the base of the party that's voting in the primaries, they did not like her. So you could argue in essence, she's not left enough for for the Bernie Elizabeth Warren crowd. Um, And actually she doesn't really like Biden either. I mean, she in effect called Biden racist in, you know, that's what they, everyone's racist, but you know, she in effect called Biden racist in one of the debates. And there's a moment that I've quoted a couple of times that I think is so telling, it's a it's a perfectly telling moment during one of the debates when she was still in it. And they ask Joe Biden, or they ask Kamala about using an executive action on guns, meaning, can the can the office of the presidency do something, create a law that would override the other branch of government, right? To create a law that would restrict one of our god-given rights one of the things enshrined in the bill of rights which is the second amendment and biden jumped in first and he said well it would have to be constitutional and she kamala harris with that with that wicked laugh she laughed in his face and she said hey, 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 joe can't we just say yes we can and it's like all right that that's a pretty scary moment so i think there is an authoritarian tendency by kamala and she's put a lot of people in jail in California for weed, smoking weed. I've never put anyone in jail for weed. I've smoked weed. I might even smoked it a couple of days ago. Okay, it's legal here now. People, come for me, would you? Um, but but so in essence, though, there's a lot of stuff that she has to kind of clean up because she's not totally in line with Joe, but enough, I would say. But she's certainly not totally in line with the radical portion of the base that definitely would have wanted. Bernie or, or Elizabeth Warren. Um, and she's got to sort of arbitrage those things, right? She's got to figure out how to balance those things back and forth. And on top of it, she has to figure out a way to look presidential in case Biden just flames out. So I think she's under more pressure than Pence is. Pence just has to continue to make sure it looks like, you know, if something happened to Trump, COVID, whatever, like if, if he couldn't do it anymore or whatever, that, that he would be okay. So I don't expect any major fireworks. It might get a little hostile. I guarantee you, no matter what happens, that the headlines tomorrow will be about, um, you know, Pence's toxic masculinity while talking to a woman and his uh, his racist attitude or, or the rest of it. So we know that's what the mainstream media focuses on and f- where they frame everything. And you just gotta just break their framing. And if you break their framing, it's a lot easier to understand. But again, at the end of the day, not many people's votes will be moved by a VP debate. And it, what this all always comes down to, especially in these last couple of weeks, is we got the hardcores on both sides, no doubt about it. What, what, is that group in the middle how big is it what you know it's not even middle really the, the undecided person right now who really isn't sure what they're going to do are they going to vote third party are they going to stay home are they going to you know begrudgingly vote one way or another way that's the group and and I don't know that anyone has good numbers on how many of those people there are i suspect there are a lot and, I, and as I've been saying, I suspect most of those people will break towards Trump, but we shall see. Um, all right, let's move on. Anyway, oh, by the way, I will be doing a uh, live stream tonight uh, after the debate, immediately after the debate, which will be 7.30 Pacific time. That's uh, 10.30 Eastern time. I'll be doing a solo debate wrap up for about half hour, 45 minutes, and then I'm jumping on over with uh, Glenn Beck on The Blaze. And I'm actually quite thrilled to tell you guys that when I did my debate wrap up last week, or was it about 10 days ago now, um, we got about 700,000 views on that thing. And it's just me, and I got my producer Michael here, and, and Clyde the dog, and I'm just telling you what I think in real time, and we got about 700,000 views, and that was more than, than most of are, are sort of comparable, well, certainly the YouTube channels, but even some of the big networks. So I don't know, I guess I guess trying to say something in a halfway decent way and not trying to, you know, make you wanna jump out your window is, is working for people. So I appreciate the support on that. Uh, let's go to the second story because uh, Gavin Newsom, uh, this guy's a real piece of work, right? Uh, just an endless piece of work. We're, we're watching the state just kind of crumble, homelessness everywhere, drug use everywhere. He was the governor of, or sorry, he was the mayor of San Francisco, and we all know what happened to San Francisco, I mean, the last time I was in San Francisco, I saw several people doing drugs on the street. I've told you a million times, there's literally an app that will tell you where human feces is. You know you've done something wrong if you need an app for that, right? Um, He destroyed San Francisco, but what happens in California, you fail your way up, so he is the governor here now. And what they're trying to do is institute a California health equity metrics program related to COVID because they've seen some disparities in ethnic background, in essence, color of skin and and who's being affected by COVID. Now, first off, before I'm gonna read some of it to you, but before I do that, I wanna make it very, very clear, very, 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 very clear uh, that I in no way want any group of people to have more COVID than any other group of people. I would like our government, whether it's our federal government or our state government or our city government to do the best they can to help everybody equally. And maybe there are certain places that through education or because they live on top of each other in in giant high rises or whatever it might be, that there are certain spots that might need more help or different help or all of those things. The question is, is the government suitable uh, to deal with these things. And unfortunately in California, you know we have a government that just takes a ton of money, but doesn't do a lot with it. And, and this is one of the things that I can never understand. You have all of these people, I mean, everyone in California is like, wait a minute, our schools suck, our roads suck, there's homelessness everywhere. And they don't seem to equate that with, oh, we've had one party running this place forever. They, it seems in many cases, they somehow associate that with Trump, who's only been president for three months and isn't running California. So it's a little bit of a a disconnect, I think, in in the reality on the ground and everything else. But to be very clear, I don't want black people getting COVID, I don't want white people getting COVID, I don't want Asian people getting it, straight people, gay people, trans people, anything else. I want nobody to have COVID. Uh, But what happens is, and this is why social justice is so um, pernicious, we start looking at everything through the lens of racial equity not equality, that the outcomes should all be the same. And then that starts racializing everything. And and you guys know that everything has been racialized. So uh, there is a document that has been put out by our California authorities. I'm just gonna read a little bit of it. Uh, It is called a blueprint for a safer economy, equity focus. Equity focus, okay, and I'll just read two portions of it. It's It's a long document. It has been clearly documented documented that certain communities, low-income, black, Latino, Pacific Islander, and essential workers have been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 in terms of higher rates of infection, hospitalizations, and deaths. These disparities create a public health imperative to address exposure in all communities, including those disproportionately impacted as a measure to protect all communities. So that sort of doesn't sound that terrible, right? There's certain communities and they lay them out, black Pacific Islander, et cetera, that seems to be having bigger spikes in COVID. And that then could affect all communities. That, that actually sounds kind of okay because we would wanna see a certain area, like a physical area or a small community that has a certain outbreak. We would wanna look at that and say, okay, let's see what we can do to fix that. But it goes on uh, and lays out an equity metric, not an equality metric, an equity metric, and this is for a county with a population of greater than 106,000. The county must ensure that the test positivity rates in its most disadvantaged neighborhoods as defined by being in the lowest quartile of the health places index census tracts, do not significantly lag behind its overall county test positivity rate as described in detail below. Now, this is where it gets a little bit weird because the implication there is, oh, let's say we have one group that has, you know, higher rates of COVID. And let's say we have this other group that doesn't, right? Well, why not just, if we just move resources out of this community that's doing okay and put it here, well, maybe that'll get pushed this down, but maybe it'll push this up. And this is what I would say is sort of the, the second order of things that the the progressives are not very good at looking at. Like this, so, this sort of sounds right that we should, we should be going to certain areas and helping people in in certain ways. Like it kind of does sound right, but, but what they're really in essence saying is if only we could get it so that the exact amount of white people had the exact amount of COVID as the exact amount of black people. And that really doesn't make sense. You want nobody to have it and you want policies that will ensure that nobody has it and you wanna give people proper information. And that really is why I wanted to do this story because what this really does come down to is proper information and as I talked about yesterday, you know, they they put up this silly, silly, like just profoundly silly, um, uh, one of these graphic charts that they put up there, which shows you that when you're going out to eat with your own family, you should chew, put the mask on, and then take the mask off and chew again. And it's like, these are crazy things. And why should we trust that, these, that the people in charge know what they're doing. I think that really is becoming the bigger problem. And, and this is not something that's specific to California alone. Let's not forget that Nashville, Tennessee, the Daily Wire just moved over to Tennessee. They just moved to Nashville. There was a big scandal, the mainstream media dropped it pretty quickly, where the mayor's office in effect was hiding the COVID numbers because they were so low that they didn't feel it would allow them to keep the lockdown happening. So, you know, so many of the things that 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 I will talk about here, that I do talk about and will continue to talk about, are not necessarily the the policies themselves as if they are so important, but it's the way the media frames everything and what they cover and what they don't. And and we've gotta figure out a, a better way to get information to people, but but equity, but anytime you hear the word equity, not equality. I want equality for everyone. I want everyone to have equal access to things and equal laws and all of those things. But equity, meaning that the outcome should be exactly the same, is really, really dangerous. Because once you start doing that, right, if you had, if you had equal equity in any job, You'd be saying, okay, then we're gonna hire more of these people to help these people, but what you are doing is punishing these people unjustly. I have no desire to punish someone based on the color of their skin. I have no desire to punish someone based on their sexuality. I am as inclined to hire a straight white guy as I would a black lesbian. I don't care about those things. So it's, can you do your job? And to prove that we just hired a new director here at the Rubin Report who will be starting with us in in about 10 days. And I'm not going to name all of this person's immutable characteristics, but I assure you they did not come up in our hiring process. We got about 500 emails and not once did me or anyone on my team or my business managers looking through them go, oh, well, what sexuality are they? What gender are they? What color are they? That in the old days would be called bigotry, but now we call it tolerance because we're a confused people and we need help. Uh, Speaking of confused people needing help, uh, I wanna do this third story on the NBA ratings. You guys have heard me talk about this a million times. I am a huge basketball fan. I love basketball. When I play basketball, it's like the one time really that I can shut my brain off and not think about all of this stuff. I just, basketball to me is like happiness and joy. I started watching the NBA around 88, 89. It was right at the end of like, you know, the great Lakers, Celtics stuff. The the bad boy Pistons were getting good at the time. I was, you know, at my peak years were all those, were the Jordan Bulls years and all that stuff. And as I've told you a million times, when I do cardio now, those are the games that I watch. I just finished watching all of the 92, the original dream team games. I love basketball, I love watching it, I love playing it, everything else. I did not watch a minute of the NBA this season um, because they've politicized everything. When you watch an NBA game, it says Black Lives Matter on the court. Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organization that has all sorts of bad stuff on their own website, like taking down the nuclear family. Um, and That has nothing to do with, do I think black people's lives matter, which of course I do, and I think white people's lives matter, and I think, straight people's lives matter and Christian lives matter and the rest of it. It is a political organization and a political message that has been injected into the game. And then of course, every time you turn on ESPN, they're doing politics, they're not doing sports. Although I will say in, in one defense of the NBA, uh, NBA on TNT, which is, you know, Ernie Johnson and Shaq and Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley. Um, I actually have not watched any of that this season either, but I do see clips occasionally on Twitter and Barkley is pretty fantastic when it comes to calling out all of this nonsense and you know Barkley who's always been outspoken and you may remember back in around 91 92 there was this big thing he did a commercial for I think it was Nike saying I'm not a role model people were very angry at him for that and I think he is a role model now whether he likes it or not because the guy the guy has an ability to to fight the mob and and say things that are true and and just I saw this clip just a week or so ago where he was talking about how you know all these people saying defund the police, well, these are usually white liberals, uh, not to use identity politics, but these are usually white liberals who are saying defund the police, and what does that do? It then harms you know black urban communities. Like Again, it's like you don't think about the second order of things. It sounds kind of right. Next thing you know, you've got more crime and more drug use and more murder and everything else, which by the way is exactly what's happening in Minneapolis and New York City and Portland and Seattle and all of these places, like across the board, people, across the board. Um, So anyway, the NBA ratings have dropped unbelievably uh, fast this year. So the ratings right now are down 55% from last year. 55%, okay, that's more than half, obviously, I'm not a mathematician, but that's more than half, down 55%. And I saw another incredible statistic, that they're down 70% since the last time LeBron was in the finals, so LeBron's on the Lakers now, uh, and he is in the finals this year, he was in the finals a couple years ago with Cleveland, and it's down 70% since then. You cannot tell me that that doesn't have something to do with politics, people have just had it. People have just had it. Why do you watch these things? You watch them so that you can see great elite athletes do things that you can't do, and you can escape the the mundane life. Um, you know that's what sports is all about. You don't watch it so that the guy with the back of, you know, on the back of his jersey, social justice warrior forty-one, throws the alley pass to the patriarchy, and he dunks on Wokester Nine like you don't do it for that. And, and for me, it's like, I'll watch old games and I'll I'll shoot around with my friends and play horse. And that's enough. I think these, you know, the idea that people that in many cases are making millions and millions and millions of dollars, I do imagine the, the incredible amount of wealth that LeBron has, which by the way, I think he deserves, I think it's great that he can make that money in America and, and do, do whatever he wants to do with them. And and by the way, say whatever he wants to say, right? I'm not telling LeBron not to say it, but there are consequences. And I think they're seeing the consequences of it. So as I said at the beginning of this, right before we started, I saw something on on OutKick, which again is Clay Travis's uh, website where they actually do sports. And he's got Jason Whitlock over there who left Fox Sports News for it. And they just ran a story about how David Silver, who is the NBA commissioner, has basically said there's gonna be less social justice on the court. So You just have to think about it this way. Now, he was all big on it, but now it's like he's looking at the numbers and going, I guess social justice doesn't matter as much. And that's how you know it's kind of nonsense. Because if it really mattered, then he wouldn't care about the ratings. If this really was about systemic racism and evil spreading throughout society, he would do what is right and keep the messages there. But now it's actually destroying his product and the league that, that these incredible athletes, and and the guy before him, David Stern, built, and he's going, okay, okay, I'm looking at it, we're gonna have to scale some of this back. Anyway, I mentioned all of this, because then I saw a really interesting interaction between Senator Ted Cruz, who is a huge NBA fan, I had him on the show, he told me an incredible story, if you didn't see our interview, he told me a fantastic story about how he was on a plane once, and Hakeem Olajuwon, who is, I think, the best center in NBA history, uh, came onto the plane, and uh, Ted Cruz wanted him to sign something. And, and Ted Cruz, obviously a Senator from Texas, Elijah Juan played with the Rockets, Houston. And he, all he had was his copy of On Liberty by John Stuart Mill. So uh, Elijah Juan signed his copy of On Liberty. I just think that's a fantastic story. Anyway, Ted Cruz got into it on Twitter with Mark Cuban. I'm gonna throw up a couple tweets here and then I, I jumped in on it at the end. Um, and it started with this, cruise by, by, uh, this tweet by Ted Cruz, which says, not surprising, personally speaking, this is the first time in years that I haven't watched a single NBA game in the finals. And as you can see, he linked to an article on Hannity.com that shows that the NBA finals was watched by less than 5 million people. And that game three was the least watched in recorded ratings history. Okay, so that's kind of interesting. So then Mark Cuban jumped in on it. Mark Cuban's the, the billionaire. Uh, from Shark Tank, and he owns the Dallas Mavericks, which is an NBA team. And he said a U.S. senator with three NBA teams in his state employing thousands of people, and he is rooting for their businesses to do poorly. This is who you are, Ted Cruz, every minute of your life. This is exactly who you are. Now, He wasn't rooting for it. He's saying why he doesn't wanna watch it. He's not rooting for people to be fired. That's obvious, and Cuban's tweet is over the top. Cruz responded, I love the Houston Rockets and have rooted for them my entire life. I happily cheer for the Spurs and Mavericks against any non-Texas team. But Mark Cuban, the NBA is engaged in a concerted effort to one, insult their fans and and two, turn every game into a left-wing political lecture. That's dumb. And then this is the one that I had to respond to because because Cuban really lost it here. He said, "You are so full of shit. You haven't watched a game of the finals. How would you know what is being said or done? Since when is a desire to end racism an insult to anyone or political? And you don't think using #GetWokeGoBroke is a partisan insult? Again, this is who you are. Now, first off, just real quick, the the go woke go broke thing." Well, that's obvious. We know it's happening everywhere, right? ESPN's ratings are collapsing. All of these companies that allow wokeness to go in, their businesses crumble. So that's not partisan, That that's just a fact. You let social justice in and, and it destroys your organization. The part that I had to respond to was that that um, when Cuban said this is a desire to end racism, that that's what this is about. So I had to jump in on it and I, I, I tweeted to uh, to Mark it's not a desire to end racism, it's a desire to mainstream it through infecting every part of public life. I also didn't watch one minute of the NBA this season and I've been a huge fan since 88, 89. So I think this is part, the reason I wanted to do this is not to show you little t- Twitter drama, but it's to show you how we're all sort of telling ourselves our own stories. So I'll, I'll not impugn Mark Cuban's motives here. I'm gonna assume that he actually really believes that the Black Lives Matter movement and this whole thing is about ending racism. Like, I'll I'll go out there and and, and say that he believes that. Maybe he doesn't and it's more nefarious, but I'll I'll go with that, right? And what I was trying to say to him, and I didn't say it, I wasn't being a dick, I wasn't being mean, I was trying to show him, actually, it's not about that, but people are sick of everything being, uh, you know, construed as racist and putting racism everywhere where it shouldn't be. Uh, he didn't respond, and and uh, I suspect he's not going to change his opinion on this. Um, but you know, as you can see, this was another example of Ted Cruz was being was being purely professional. There, there was nothing. He wasn't attacking anybody personally, and everything else. Mark Cuban comes in with "You're full of shit," and and unfortunately, that does seem to be the asymmetry of the arguments these days. That one side does seem to want to talk about ideas a little bit more, the other side. Kind of wants to insult, it, it's just how it is. All right, people, uh, that is the direct message for today. Hope you feel a little saner, that you got a little something that maybe you can bring to the dinner table or to a conversation with a friend or a coworker that, that maybe will make things uh, not feel as crazy. I will be live right here on the YouTube tonight at 7.30 Pacific time, that's 10.30 Eastern time, uh, right at the end of the debate. We might start a minute or two early uh, just to get the jump. Uh, So you can, if you're not subscribed or if you've been unsubscribed, because I get a lot of that, make sure you're subscribed. You can click that notification bell and you'll be notified. Thanks for watching. we'll be back tonight and then we'll be back tomorrow and who knows what happens the day after that.